Spencer Speaks Sports Monday episode here. A lot to get, or a decent amount to get into here. Um, I was trying to figure out where to start this episode, and I think I'll go to just basically the the two significant knockouts that happened on Saturday night when it came with uh, with boxing and then the, in the UFC. Um, the first one, I mean, this is the one that I saw, was uh, Miguel Burchell and Oscar Valdez. Um, this was for the super featherweight title for the World Boxing Co- Council there. Um, see, see the people were saying super featherweight, and then it was also junior lightweight. Um, not exactly sure what the, the – is, is it the same thing? I have no idea. But anyway, um, so Burchelt was – 38 and one heading into this fight. He was the one who was holding the belt. And then Oscar Valdez, 28 and oh, um, was a former uh, World Boxing Organization featherweight uh, uh, title holder. And um, yeah, I, so Valdez was an underdog in here in this uh, fight. And basically, we were, let's see, got to the fourth round. And um, early on, you could tell that Valdez's. Uh, left-handed jab, left-handed punch was um, doing a decent amount of damage and that it almost just took out Burchell in the fourth round there. Uh, he got a, a technical knockdown because he punched him and then uh, Burchell kind of fell into the ropes there um, was able to stay on his feet, but weak legs. So um, it was just remarkable that he survived the fourth round there. And then he actually climbed back in the next couple of rounds there uh, to where I think he actually won the fifth or sixth round um, started building a little bit moment of momentum. And then um, Valdez just kept kind of sticking to what he had to do. And then eventually in the 10th round there, um, had an unbelievable uh, knockout punch. I mean, it's only February, but this that will probably be the knockout of the year in boxing. And, um, it, yeah, it was just like, I mean, just the instant reaction of probably everybody watching that fight was, uh, <laughs> or that, that knockout was just uh, insane. Um, so, yeah, so Valdez now has the belt uh, for the super featherweight division. Um and um or or like i said junior uh, junior lightweight um and the next opponent for him could very well be shakur stevenson who's i think he's like 21 22 years old maybe 23 um and he's undefeated and uh that's uh that's looking like that could be the next uh potential fight that top rank will look to get together there um it would be an absolute uh, showdown i would be interested in watching that fight because you, yeah two undefeated fighters fighting for um one of the more prestigious belts um that you can get for your weight class and um so yeah so that was the one knockout the other one happened i didn't see this one live but it was the ufc heavyweight it was just a, a fight for ufc fight night no championship uh, belt involved here but uh you had uh, blades and um oh man Derek lewis there we go and um basically uh lewis was a a heavy underdog here and um it was just uh I think this was in the second round where um because Blades is a he is um known to be more of a grappling and and wrestling specialist um to where he really wants to fight on on the mat um 
Curtis Blades is his name. And um, so he tried to do that in the second round. Meanwhile, he's kind of ducking his head to where his face is like facing, yeah, basically facing down. And then um, <laughs> Lewis, who's known for uh, being a knockout specialist, I believe, after this fight, that's 12 total now in his fights out of, say, I think 30. Um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so he uh, basically gave uh, Blades an uppercut. And just uh, knocked them out, put them on the put them on the uh, floor there. Um, and this was this upset was the biggest I think in UFC in five years, um, which is uh, just crazy to think about. You would think that because of the power of um, heavyweight fighters, the odds wouldn't be too crazy, but um, but I guess this was a significant. Um, uh, I guess disadvantage is what people were seeing and um yeah i i guess uh derek lewis has had that one punch that this uh this ended the fight and um so yeah so so two significant knockouts that happened in the fighting world on friday i totally forgot to mention uh that the nhl there was two games that was going on at, at lake tahoe um, and this was between the Colorado Avalanche and Vegas Gold, Golden Knights on Saturday, and then the Philadelphia Flyers and Boston Bruins on Sunday. Um, the uh, the game on Saturday was interesting because there was a eight hour delay um, from uh, the end of the first period to the start of the second period. Uh, they planned on doing a daytime game so people could kind of like see the the scenery a little bit better um in certain shots behind the ice and uh i i want to say that um it was definitely a mistake because the sun got to the ice too much and it was unskatable you had players tripping and falling uh because the skates were getting stuck so after the first period they delayed the match eight hours and they when when the Everything kind of cooled down a little bit. The sun wasn't shining on the ice. They decided to play the rest of the game, and I believe Colorado ended up winning three to two over Vegas there. So uh, that meant that the Bruins Flyers game was going to get rescheduled um, a little bit later on Sunday, uh, the following day there. And um, so yeah, they played at like seven thirty um eastern time it was still it was still like afternoon obviously in tahoe with the three hour difference but um but yeah so so it went into the night there and uh this game was very entertaining to watch as a bruins fan um david posternock having the hat trick bruins winning seven three against the flyers had a monster um second period there to make it six two in the game um yeah four goals in the in the second period and um you knew david posternock may have a good game when he was doing warm-ups with the um i guess the best comparison is the randy macho man savage uh sunglasses there he had like the neon pink frames on him and um obviously the darker shade there um so, so yeah and this the entire bruins team were wearing uh like 90s or neon retro kind of uh jumpsuit like um <laughs> attire uh, heading to the game um so yeah so they were really just enjoying the moment there of of kind of having 
uh, and wearing the the retro jerseys as well. The Bruins were wearing the uh, the yellow jerseys there, kind of like yeah, the re- the reverse retro. Um, so yeah, sharp looking uniforms with I guess all the teams. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was a good game to watch, uh, especially on my end there. And um, yeah, the Bruins are are leading the Eastern Division right now. I think they're up. They got a, uh, I think it's a three-point advantage over Washington now. In NASCAR this weekend, very entertaining at the Daytona Road Course there. Um, I'll I'll start with the Xfinity Series, which is a division below the Cup Series there. These races happen on Saturday usually. Then you have the Cup Series, the main event kind of happen on um, Sunday there. But in the Xfinity Series, you had Ty Gibbs who was an 18-year-old driver. He was making his debut, and the Gibbs name, if you're a NASCAR fan or if you're a football fan, sounds familiar because Joe Gibbs is the owner of Joe Gibbs Racing, obviously, and he was the former um, NFL football coach, mostly for the Washington Redskins at the time. And, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a pro football Hall of Famer. He's a NASCAR Hall of Famer, and his grandson, Ty Gibbs, was racing in the number 54 monster energy car in the Xfinity race there. And yeah, like I said, first time, um, yeah, first start in this series and, uh, he goes out and wins the entire race, which is pretty crazy. Um, he races in what's called the Arca series. And, um, <clears throat> so, uh, that division is basically, yeah, it's two divisions below what the Xfinity series is series is um gibbs has never raced in the truck series which is the event that happens usually on friday nights for the nascar like national uh series there um so yes it's just crazy how he was able to to pull off that victory um and and uh gibbs was obviously uh um this this win uh, was very special uh, to to him because uh, obviously when your grandson wins and it's and it's your racing team, um, it, it's it's definitely a um, a remarkable uh, feat there. And um, the Gibbs uh, continued Joe Gibbs continued his uh, success with his team on into Sunday there at the Cup Series when uh, Christopher Bell. One, he's the number 20 car. Uh, he won the uh, Daytona road race there. Um, I believe it was a 263 mile race if, to be exact. Um, and uh, I was a little disappointed because I had uh, picked Chase Elliott to win this race. But uh, and he was racing pretty well for most of the race. I think the one problem came in the in the in the pit stall there during pit stops. And uh, this, the, there was um a loose tire that the that the pit that the uh, pit crew had to receive um, and, and get under control, so there wasn't a penalty. So that burned some time um, in during the second stage of the race, and then there was um, another pit stop where I believe they lost four spots and started around tenth um, with probably just a little over ten laps to go. Um, and uh, it kind of it kind of screwed him over there, and then eventually Chase Elliott trying to be ultra aggressive to move up the field eventually spins out and crashes, or not really crashes, but there spins out and um and never is able to recover. Finishes around like twentieth in the race, I believe. Um, but anyway, Christopher Bell 
first career wins. So uh, just these first two races here, you had Michael McDowell win Daytona after going winless in his first 358 starts or whatever it was. And then you have Christopher Bell, who's a little bit younger, um, a, a fresher face in the uh, Cup Series. I think it, it only took him 38 starts um, to win his first race. But uh, anyway, still a first-time winner. And um, I think it just with the uh, coronavirus and, and NASCAR changing things up when it, when it comes to uh, less practice runs, less qualifying, I think the parity in NASCAR now is as as great as it probably has ever been or has been in recent times um to where you do have like McDowell and and Christopher Bell winning these races um but I mean I mean Bell is on Joe Gibbs racing so I guess it is kind of an expectation that he would win but I think you would have expected it more from say Martin Truex Kyle Busch or Danny Hamlin um like right now um to get the wins for for gibbs team but uh yeah that was not the case and um yeah it was just i mean this this race was just all over the place you had um some drivers who out goes let's see we had kurt bush brad kozowski and actually michael mcdowell too so the one two and 34 cars respectively there um had some issues early on ended up getting i believe all three of them were in the top eight um mcdowell was eighth uh kurt bush was like fourth i think kozowski might have even been up to third um to finish and uh so yeah so um just because especially at a road course just because you have a bad start uh early does not mean you're gonna have a bad finish late and uh yeah that that was proven yesterday so very interesting race a bunch of uh beat up cars there um at the end so i want to talk about uh a few college basketball games here that occurred over the weekend um the first one and it this definitely does have some um ncaa tournament uh bubble implications regarding one team in this matchup which was duke and it's uh rare that you see duke in a spot to where they are on the outside looking in for the tournament i'm pretty sure this is like the first situation has happened in probably at least like 25 years um but yeah they're they're in the situation that they're in and it's a unique year because you have programs like duke kentucky um north carolina um kansas is on the rebound but um these blue blood programs that are um are, are struggling like kentucky is not even close to making the tournament they're not unless they win the sec tournament their conference tournament and get that auto bid there's no way kentucky's going to the tournament north carolina is in a decent spot i believe they're the last four buys according to um espn bracket expert joe lenardi there duke on the other hand is currently the next four out and this is even after a win against seventh ranked virginia from saturday uh duke won uh, 76 to 75 yes one point game there and um and yeah it's there's a big matchup coming up tonight against syracuse i think it's seven o'clock on espn uh, but Syracuse is in the same spot. Next four out, according to Joe Lenardi. And I mean, I'll just because about uh, yeah, because of the a limited amount of games uh, that 
is left on the schedule before conference tournaments. I think Duke may have, including tonight, may have four games left, and that's it. Um, the loser of this Duke-Syracuse game is going to be out of the uh, tournament consideration, I think. I, I, I After this loss tonight by whatever team it is, I don't think they have enough games to be able to recover unless they – like like I said with Kentucky, unless somehow um, one of those teams pulls off a, a miraculous tournament, uh, conference tournament, uh, uh, championship run, uh, it's it's not going to happen. So yeah, that's that's the implications I'm putting on that game uh, for Syracuse and Duke. There, um, I expect Duke to win this game tonight um, to f- further push their chances of, of of getting a bid into the tournament. Um, I wanted to also uh, mention with West Virginia here, they had a big win to kind of keep them in the uh, top four seed conversation here or just the top 16 in general. Um, Big win over 12th ranked Texas. And uh, they were down 19 with about, I think it was early in the second half, like maybe 18 minutes to go. They were able to tie it up 12 minutes later around the six minute mark. And, um, uh, towards the end of the game here, uh, Texas had the final possession here. They were down by two, 84 to 82. And um, basically there was um, the, the amount of time left. It, it had to be a quick impound pass and basically a tip in. Um, so that way the ball was out of um, whoever's hand it was um, before the clock expired. And it was I was getting flashbacks from January 9th when I was left heartbroken on a ride back uh, to my house listening to the first West Virginia-Texas game that occurred this season. And Texas won on basically, it it was, I think, 1.8 seconds left to go. And it was a game-winning three-pointer. So Texas won by um, two points there. Um, So I was thinking, like, oh, no, are we going to have another game-winning buzzer beater for Texas is, is West Virginia going to lose like this again? And it wasn't the case because the tip-in fell short, hit the front of the rim. So West Virginia, a big win there. I think Lenardi has him as a three seed, and I, I don't remember what region it was, but one of the three, one of the four three seeds for the tournament there. Um, and there's still a, a decent amount of uh, games to go that could change it up a little bit. Um, but yeah, West Virginia has been playing pretty good. Um, they're fourth right now in the Big 12 conference that uh, is very deep because you have Texas, uh, Texas Tech, Kansas, obviously Baylor, um, who's on a pause right now because of COVID, but Baylor is the second best team in the nation. Um, so yeah, West Virginia is holding their own in a tough conference. And uh, yeah, they'll be tournament ready and have the opportunity to, to possibly make that final four run and then i also um wanted to touch on a game that i was um telling people to look forward to on friday and this was yesterday with um university of michigan and ohio state the third and fourth best teams in the nation were playing each other this was a very high scoring game 92 to 87 and uh yeah it was just so balanced the the only real difference like i could find was that uh, Michigan was able to get to the th- uh, free throw line uh, more often. They didn't have um, as good of a, of a, a percentage as uh, Ohio State did, but they were able to get to the line 24 times, make 19 of them. I think Ohio State got to the line 13 times, made 12. Um, 
but yeah, that was the big difference. It was a five point game. And, um, that's because the, the shooting percentages were fairly even rebounding was fairly even, um, a lot of impact from their, from their key players, star players there. Um, and yeah, it was just a, a super entertaining game to watch. And I think it was, uh, it was helped by having uh, Kevin Harlan there, um, the uh, the play-by-play announcer who uh, is known for having um, kind of um, some. Uh, I guess if if people just aren't familiar with his games, I mean he's probably gone viral for. Uh, I think there were a Monday Night Football game. Uh, there was a cat that ran onto the field, and he was doing play-by-play on that, and to just like kind of fill in the time of that delay. And there's certain things like that that um, I think a lot of people um, know and, and and love his uh, commentating for. Uh, but yeah, so so that was another piece that just made the game very interesting. Um, and yeah, I mean both both of those teams, I don't think that that really hurt their resume too much there. I don't think Ohio State's going to drop too much. Um, they may go back to like the two line when it comes to seeding, but Michigan um, coming off of a, a pause from last week or two weeks ago um, is looking very good. Still only They still only have one loss on their, um, on their record this season. I was kind of disappointed by these results um, with the Australian Open here. Um, I guess with the women's final, it was expected that Naomi Osaka would probably beat Jennifer Brady there in straight sets, and she did. It was 6-4, 6-3. Osaka wins her fourth major title. She has two in Australia, two at the U.S. Open. And um, I think, uh, I guess the thing I'll touch on is – not necessarily making a Serena Williams comparison, but just um, kind of forecasting her um, Osaka's success um, in these next couple of years here. Cause she's only 23 years old. She already has four majors. Um, and, uh, and so it seems like she'll have many more um, victories in her career. Um, the thing that gives me a little bit of pause is her success on the clay at the French Open and on grass at Wimbledon. Her deepest runs in those tournaments have only been in, into the third round there, so the final 32, um, when obviously she's won Australian and U.S. Open on the hard courts. Um, it's just, uh, I mean, like I said, only 23 years old, still very young in her career. But um, she definitely has to improve on that if she wants to even be in consideration to try and um, get into those high double-digit or high-teens marks for major titles. I very well think she could get to double digits like 10 um, just in being successful at the Australian Open and U.S. Open. But um, in order for her to be considered one of the greatest of all time, uh, she has to uh, start improving in the French, in the Wimbledon over these next uh, couple years here to uh, to kind of prove to people that she has the ability to win on all surfaces. Um, uh, and I think just the amount of... Uh, 
skill, like I guess parody in in the women's tour because you had Iga Swiatek of um, Poland win the French Open last year. Um, you've had Halep win tournaments, Muguruza win tournaments. Uh, Sophia Kennan, uh, the American player, won the Australian Open in 2020. Um, I think there's a lot of names that have uh, the potential to win major tournaments. So I don't know how often that will interfere with um, Osaka's success to where she could um, tally up those uh, major title numbers. Uh, so, so that's, um, because I, yeah, because right now the Serena's mark of 23 is just seems untouchable, um, just based on what I, I, I see. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess we'll just have to see how Osaka's, um, career these next couple of years develops and see if she's able to, um, have an impact at the French and at Wimbledon. Um, so, so that's the point I wanted to make there. And then on the men's side, uh, Novak Djokovic just seems to continue his success at the Australian Open. Um, he just won his ninth title um, early Sunday morning there. And uh, he beat Daniil Medvedev of Russia, um, who was the four seed in the tournament. And um, I thought Medvedev would give uh, Novak a fight and potentially have a shot to win it um, just based on how he had play throughout the entire tournament but uh novak just brought it up to a completely different level um he he played he played like a a major champion and um at australia he's 18 and 0 when it comes to semi-final and finals matches so once he gets really deep into the tournament he's bound to win the entire thing and um it puts him two away now from rafael nadal and roger federer for most major singles titles all time on the men's side uh nadal federer sits at 20 novak sits at 18 and uh yeah it's i mean these these uh next couple or few years here are going to be very interesting to see. Um, I, I think it's really going to come down to Rafa and Novak because uh, I think Federer's major winning uh, days are probably numbered or done. Um, so, yeah, so it, it's um, it will be interesting to see how, especially what happens at the French Open because Rafael Nadal has won what, like, I mean, what is he up to, 12, 13 of those? <laughs> so, um so, so you, it would be expected that Rafa wins that tournament, and then it's just a matter of what goes down at Wimbledon and the U.S. Open to um, see how that margin either spreads out or gets closer. Um, and uh, what, what else? Do I mean, did I want to mention anything else with Novak? Just the fact that he's great out of Australia. Um, oh yeah, I think this Medvedev. The, Novak was kind of playing a perfect game of tennis, and Medvedev was not. And Medvedev had. Um, uh, way too many unforced errors, and it did not give him a, a, a shot to win at all. I think the match score ended up being uh, 7-5, 6-2, 6-2. So it wasn't really much of a match. I think the match finished in uh, under two hours. Um, so kind of an anticlimactic uh, championship weekend, but uh, but still, um, I mean, it was it was kind of expected that Novak and Osaka would be the winners of these tournaments.